Hi, I'm Day Young, and you may remember me from Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise. And you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. The great thing about acting in Star Trek is that it's not uncommon for the same person to appear throughout multiple shows, and oftentimes, multiple series. People like Phil Morris, Juliana Donald, Eric Avari, and many other guests we've already had on the show have done it, and today we can add another of those performers on that list, since today we're speaking with the fabulous Day Young. Day has three appearances in Star Trek history, starting in the TNG episode The Masterpiece Society, where Day played Hannah Bates, a scientist from a genetically cultivated society on the brink of being wiped out. She returned to the franchise a few years later in the DS9 episode A Simple Investigation as Orissa, an enigmatic love interest for Odo who's got quite a story behind her. Finally, she appeared in the first season Enterprise episode Two Days and Two Nights as Kayla, another mysterious woman who spent some time with Captain Archer on Ryza. And Day's sister also appeared in Star Trek, but we're going to save her story for a different episode. Day's resume has over 100 credits in TV shows and films, including Rock and Roll High School, Spaceballs, The Serpent and the Rainbow, Freddy's Nightmares, Diagnosis Murder, The X-Files, Jake and the Fat Man, Melrose Place, The West Wing, Jag, Mad Men, The Mentalist, and a few other shows we're going to discuss in today's episode. These days, Day continues to act, but also pursues her other love in the arts, which is sculpting. Day is an accomplished statue maker with art seen around the world, working in unforgiving mediums like marble and bronze to make some outstanding pieces that I can't wait to share with you today. And as a personal note for this interview, for some reason, I felt like I was extra fumbly with this one, so I'm a bit disappointed in my own performance in this episode. Hopefully you won't notice it too much, but... I think some things are going to definitely be a little bit more noticeable than others. And I didn't just want to reshoot my lines just for the sake of making myself look better, especially because I didn't want to lose the energy that I had with Day going into this interview. But I was definitely having a bit of an off day, and I feel a little self-conscious about it. So I hope you don't mind that I was a little bit more tongue-tied than I usually am. So let's get ready for a lot of Trek talk and plenty of stories from a very long career in arts and entertainment with the one and only Day Young. Now, before we start this week's episode, I want to ask you, are you following Trek Untold on social media? If you're not yet, please make sure to check out Trek Untold on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook so you can get the latest updates on the guests we're speaking to each week, along with all sorts of other great things we show. If you've been enjoying this show, please consider supporting us by checking out our merchandise on teespring.com stores slash trekuntold, where we've got mugs, t-shirts, cell phone cases, and all sorts of other crazy stuff you can buy to show off how much you love Trek Untold. Or please consider supporting us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. We've got a few different benefit tiers that help us out and give you a little something extra each week for the show. If you're a new listener or a regular listener who hasn't done this yet, please, of course, don't forget to subscribe to us, whether you're watching us on YouTube or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other audio or video platforms you might find this show. And if you've been enjoying Trek Untold, whether it be the audio version or the video version, please make sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're checking out the show. Or if you're watching it on youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday, make sure to leave a comment and give us a thumbs up. 
Those little tiny things that'll take you a few moments to do will help this show out for light years to come and ensure that other people are able to find Trek Untold and give it a listen. And if you're a member of this audience who has already done one or several of those things already, thank you so much for your support. And if you haven't had a chance to do any of those things yet, we still thank you very much for choosing to listen today to Trek Untold. There's a ton of other Star Trek podcasts out there, and there's only so many hours in the day, so we really do appreciate you choosing this one to check out for the time we're spending with you now. I'd also like to make a quick shout-out to our sponsor at Triple Fiction Productions, who makes some amazing 3D-printed Star Trek-inspired dioramas and props for both Star Trek action figures and Star Trek fans in person. Whether you're a cosplayer or a toy collector, there's plenty of stuff to check out from Triple Fiction Productions, but you're going to hear a little bit more about them later on. So without further ado, let's begin this week's episode. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold, and now joining us on the other side of the screen, we have Day Young. Day, how are you today? I am doing great, thank you. We have a lot to talk about because your body of work is enormous. I was looking through your resume and I'm just like shocked by how much there is on it. So there is a lot to talk about. You've had quite a career and I know these days you've taken a different journey in the arts and I hope we get some time to talk about that today too. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I do both. I do both the sculpture and the acting. And I, at one point I thought, oh, I've got to make a choice here. But then I said, no, they're both a passion. So keep them both going strong. So that's what I've done. Yeah, I'm very curious about that balance. Um, we're definitely going to talk about that in a bit. But I got to ask you, Day, the first question I ask all my guests on Trek Untold, that's what is your earliest memory of Star Trek? Wow. I, gosh. Well, this is this is going to be really embarrassing to tell because I was really never a real Trekkie. And when I got the script, when I got the job and I, and my first job was on um, uh, next generation and um, I was reading the script and I'd gone in and, and I had, I'd really nailed my auditions. And um, I think I met twice on it to get that, to play um, Hannah Bates. And uh so I uh, I got the script and they talked about beaming up and all of that and I literally had to look that up. So I I <laughs> I I literally am a neophyte when it I mean is that the right word I just had no idea about any of it. So I think I I was aware of it but I was never a Trekkie and I never I had some friends in high school who were really into it and that was a different crowd that I didn't run in. I was a little more bohemian and all of that but there were definitely a Trekkie group and uh uh but um yeah, I had to actually look up what it meant to beam up, you know, to, is that, am I even saying that right? Beam, beam me up or whatever. I think that's I correct. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how bad I am with it all. But then afterwards, I so got into it. So I, that's my honest story. <laughs> that's all right. We don't expect everybody to be Trekkies when they first do the show. So, yeah. I mean, you were basically probably a theater artsy kid and that was like the sci-fi nerds hanging out in AV closet, right? I was, but I was really an athlete too. So I was a field hockey, all Detroit, uh, West Wing star. So that's where my energy was into a, a lot. And then I did theater arts once I got into um, high school. So I really, um, yeah, so I went, it's all, it all unfolds, doesn't it? <laughs> so can you help us paint a picture of your origin story, if you will? Uh, can you tell us where you grew up, what your parents did for a living and what day wanted to be when she grew up? I was born in Indiana and my parents moved very young to uh, Michigan. And then I was raised um, in Birmingham, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, which is a suburb 
um, outside of Detroit. My dad was in the computer industry um, very early on. It was a company called Burroughs Corporation, and they were the ones who helped uh, supply NASA with the computers and all of that. It was like a really uh, a big competitor to IBM. Um, my mother was um, my mother was brilliant. She was. Um, she w- had a PhD, and she, but she gave it all up. She, you know, she was the it was the American dream, and she gave it all up to support my dad and and uh, raise children. So, um, but she always had an eye for theater and an eye for the for the movie. Uh, you know, a big follower of movies and um, and art. She was a docent down at the Detroit Art Institute, so that also was where uh, I got a big entrance into art. But my real entrance and into the um, the idea of going into uh, film and theater uh, and all of that was because was from my sister. I have an older sister, ten years older, Lee Taylor Young, and so she kind of. Uh, after high school, she left college, much to my parents' dismay. They were horrified that she would leave college because one of the number one things in our life was was going to college, education, education, education. So, um, but my sister, you know, forged a new path. She went to um, uh, New York and she became, uh, got a Broadway show and came out here and hit and ended up um, being in Peyton Place and marrying Ryan O'Neill. So it was like, oh, wow, this looks so easy. And oh, it looks so much fun. And I just, so all of a sudden I get to high school and I'd always been into dance. I was, I was um, as well as being an athlete, I was also into dance, modern dance. I, I um, was in a lot of concerts and all of that. So I, uh, dance was always a huge uh, thing for me. But then I said, okay, what am I going to do this, do with dance? So I, I decided to go into theater arts and my sister, and I ended up going to college out close to her in California, at Pomona College in Claremont and being a theater major there. And uh, yeah, and then I went to London and I studied at London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. So um, I did follow in my parents, you know, what my parents wanted, which was training and education. Whatever you do, you work hard at and you are you do your best to 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 be able to present to the world the most, you know, the best that you are. So that was what I did. I, I um, yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's quite an education that you've had in the arts there. And I know you also are a lifetime member of the Actors Studio, too, correct? I am. I am. And I think that, you know, it has stayed, um, it's a bit ensconced inside of me to uh, keep my training always going. So I've always, I believe very strongly in always being in acting class and keeping my craft going. And, you know, it's a crazy business. We don't know when we're going to get a job. We don't know. We, um, uh, you don't know, we don't know how it's going to come to us, you know, and it can be just uh, coming out of left field. And and uh, my getting uh, my first movie, which was Rock and Roll High School, I in a hundred years, I was the last person they saw to play Kate Rambeau. And I had just come from uh, spending two years in London at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. I I came to Los Angeles. 
I didn't have an agent and I happened to be at a party and a casting director came up into me and they said, you know, you should meet on this Roger Corman movie. They're really looking for Kate Rambeau and they can't find her. And they'd already cast BJ souls to play Riff Randall. And I went and I met with uh, Alan Arkish and I was, I, that was like on a Friday and I started on Monday. So it's, that's where things come out of left field. You just, it's just unbelievable. And it's, it's the exciting part of this industry too, you know, uh, as well. So, but I am very, very getting back to the actor studio. I'm sorry, I went on a little segue there, but um, it is part of, of the framework of make, of what makes me who I am, the um, working hard on your craft and continuing to keep it going. I do it today. I'm very active with the actor studio. I am definitely glad that you went on that tangent because I did actually want to ask, in fact, about Rock and Roll High School because that is such a whirlwind of a film. Uh, if folks haven't seen it, there actually is a bootleg hiding on YouTube somewhere, not that hard to find. Uh, but yeah, can you tell really? us a little bit about your. Oh yeah, have, have you have you watched it anytime soon? Oh yes, I yes because I get I I do get interviews and if I go to conventions, other than the one amazing convention I went for for Star Trek, which I hope to be invited another time, but I went I went once, um, and that was a couple of years ago. But I go to a lot of conventions for Rock and Roll High School because there is a huge cult following, and so PJ and I will go to a lot of a few of those, and um, I try to go to one at least a year. So. Uh, I definitely have to keep keep up on rock and roll high school. And I I love it. What a wonderful first movie, you know, and what a wonderful education, you know, to do a Roger Corman movie and really work 12 hours a day, you know, be thrown in the thick of it. And uh, yeah, it was a great experience. And the Ramones, meeting the Ramones, my God, there I go. Oh, my God. Here I was again, another story that is just was so embarrassing of not even knowing who the Ramones when I was cast, not even knowing who the Ramones were, but it was so perfect for Kate Rambeau. You know, I I had no idea who I didn't even know about punk rock. And so everything that happens in the concert scene where PJ soul and I have to walk into the Roxy on sunset and, and go and make our way through this punk rock group to, um, to watch the Ramones. I mean, it was shocking. We were bashed around. We were, uh, I mean, they had to stop it actually the filming because they were getting so out of hand and stuff. I mean, and the punk rockers were so into the Ramones. So it was a, that was a real education too. And by the way, we know at the start of the scenario that you mentioned, you weren't really a Trekkie or anything like that, but you have had the opportunity to work with William Shatner on two occasions, at least two occasions. Uh, and one of those was in TJ Hooker. You were in the episode Requiem for a Cop. Uh, you played the daughter of one of TJ's friends. Uh, and you had a lot of scenes with William Shatner. Do you remember much about working with him back then? Oh, man, he is just amazing. He uh, Well, I also did... Um, uh, Boston, Boston Legal. Legal. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, oh, did you just mention that? No, you didn't yet, did you? Not yet. No, that's that's okay, how his okay, other parents okay, had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoiler that, alert. Right, 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 right. In Boston Legal, that was probably the most memorable one for me. But T.J. Hooker, you know, that was just you know again me being a young actress getting an opportunity and going there. But he was highly professional, very kind, and um, had a bit of a sense of humor, which I really got to um, to experience more when working with him on. Uh, on Boston legal, but uh, it, what a gem of a man. 
Now, did he actually remember you when you were on Boston Legal with him? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just, you know, he said, well, I once played, you know, you know, you know, no, 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 no. He, he, do you know how many cop, little cops came on that show and people who just, uh, yeah, it was, uh, no, he didn't remember me. <laughs> but it's okay. I, hopefully, if I ran into him, I'd say, hey, do you remember me? I was the... Uh, I was the call girl with the ash leg because I had an ash leg and, and you and I have a, an affair on Boston legal. <laughs> I think hopefully you'd remember me. So another thing that our viewers today might remember you from is Spaceballs. You were the waitress in that famous scene with Chess Burster. Oh my God, such a great scene. Uh, what do you remember about that day and working with Mel Brooks in particular? Because I love hearing good Mel Brooks stories. Oh my God. Well, my Mel Brooks story, he to me was like um, the Wizard of Oz. I uh, like going to meet the Wizard of Oz. And that was an experience which was a first time again for me, which um, was a small cameo part, but very memorable. And I mean, it's crazy when people will come up and ask me and, and, and remind me that I was even in that movie because it's really so little of a scene. But still, it was it was very memorable. Um you know, Mel Brooks, it was the, it was, it, it was done, Spaceball was done on huge stages. And the, I, you know, I was a space waitress and uh, the, the uh, place that I was working, the, the um, cafe I was working at, or the soda pop place I was working at, um, was a stage over from where Mel Brooks was. He was about two stages over in this box you know with other people and on a megaphone literally yelling you know space waitress move to the right make sure his tail gets under your skirt you know i mean it was like and it was like you know you go oh okay yes great thank thank you mel and and it was that was the experience of working on that is that i i, I don't even remember if i saw him i saw him in the audition he was very very charming and i uh from my my brother-in-law at the time was very close friends of his so I, I i had met him socially he and Anne at different times but really this was an experience where it was the wizard of oz yelling out at me to move two inches to the right and make sure that the tail you know he was all about the jokes and getting the joke and making sure that the tail got up you know up my skirt and stuff uh that john candy's tail got up my skirt so that was my my Mel Brooks experience. He was you know, he was fantastic. He was brilliant at what he was brilliant at. Mel Brooks and John Candy experience too, because John Candy peak of his career at that point too, and what, what an amazing actor he was. Oh yes, what an amazing and Bill Pullman, who yes, I also Bill Pullman, worked yeah. with again. I love Bill Pullman. I did. I worked with him in uh, Serpent in the Rainbow, and um, that what took me to Haiti, and um, um, I. Let's see, did I work? What year was Spaceballs? Do you even know? Oh, God, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, anyway, I think Spaceballs happened uh, maybe before. I don't know whether it happened before or after. Uh, it's, uh, 1987. Just Google that right now. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, Serpent in the Rainbow then was uh, right around the exact same time. And I don't remember whether, I, I don't think I had met Bill yet, but uh, we spent a little time down in Haiti together working on this movie. And uh, uh, again, a wonderful actor and um, a gem of a person. 
I mean, that's a wonderful thing about my business. It hasn't been as of recent where I've had the opportunity, but it's taken me all over the world. And that's amazing. I've worked in New Zealand. I've worked in, in Haiti. I've worked in Dominican Republic. I've worked in London. I've worked, I've, I've worked all over the world. Uh, Germany, a lot. I've done a few movies in Germany. So it's just been a gift, you know, and I love to travel. So it's been, and Canada. So, yeah. And you've also been a salesperson in a store in California because you were also in Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts and like one of the most important small scenes in the film, but there are no small scenes, of course, but one of the most important yeah. scenes in that film that really stands out. Uh, what was it like with Ju- working with Julia Roberts back then? Um, that was a wonderful experience. I um, I mean, I'll just tell you about the whole experience of even getting the job because it's, it's uh, uh, again, a, a, a part that comes out of left field a small role. You don't think it's going to have any kind of, uh, you know, fan base at all, but it's a movie that, uh, well, the movie just keeps on giving it just, people love it. And, um, that scene is voted time and time again as being the most memorable scene and the scene that keeps getting repeated and that, that people really go back to loving so much being the bitchy saleswoman. But, um, I met Gary Marshall. I had done a couple of movies um, for the Disney Channel uh, playing opposite Alan Thicke. And um, uh, Alan Thicke had invited me out to a tennis party in Carpinteria, California. And I ended up being partners on the tennis court with Gary Marshall. And we beat a couple of times people across the way. And man, I was in his book. (laughs) he loved it he loved it you know and then he said to me and then he finds out I'm an actress that worked with Alan and he said oh call me I might uh, you know I might have something for you so uh I um it didn't actually I didn't actually call him but he called me or he called my agent or my agent was called and I went in and I met on Pretty Woman and he threw a couple of scenes at me and this one landed and again I was on the set and in the dressing room with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts uh, not the dressing room the um, makeup trailer with them and it was just a, a wonderful wonderful experience Julia was very um she was fresh and new and excited. And this was, you know, the role that was going to absolutely make her, which it did, and uh, put her on the map. And it was exciting to see that. And she was very gracious and fun to be with. And um, I've had one experience where I ran with, ran into her on another movie um, a couple years later, and she came up to me. We were in the line of a... Um, uh, at a premiere and she came up and she was standing behind me and she goes, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Julia Roberts. And I was in, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Do you remember me? So she was very sweet and gracious. Um, and I haven't seen her in many years, but it's been, it was a great experience. I find it interesting how it's always scenes like that, where it's just like, those are the ones that are most impactful in the films. Uh, like we spoke with Alex Datcher, who was in Passenger 57 with Wesley Snipes, and she was there in the scene where he says, always bet on black, which is like one of the most well-known quotes in movie history also. Um, but, you know, that day she didn't think it was anything really important. She doesn't remember anything from it, in fact. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. Just again, did you think that was going to be such an important scene to the film and just a, almost film history, really? Yes, absolutely. Never, never thought it would be. But I mean, if you think about it, it really... Um... <laughs> 
it, you know, it just, it just epitomizes the shopkeeper and Beverly Hills and what people think about it and all of that and being very snooty and all of that. And, and it, it fit perfectly into the movie. So I, and the dialogue is just so great, you know, and, uh, you know, and her coming back and saying a big mistake with the the bag. So people, I, you know, people who rarely am I recognized on the street, but occasionally people will come up to me and they'll say big mistake, you know, so I'll get that occasionally, you know, where people will do something like that. And uh, yeah, so it 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 is, it's, um, it was again, a shocker. I, I It is shocking to know the movies that really stick and the parts that stick. I mean, I, I can, people remember me from that and I've done huge roles in big, in littler movies and no, you know. One last thing, actually, before we talk about Star Trek, in fact, and uh, this might shock you to know, but here on Trek Untold, we love Angela Lansbury and we love Angela oh. Lansbury's stories. And I know you did oh. uh, an episode of Murder, She Wrote, which was, uh, I have it right here, it was uh, Something Foul in Flappyville. <laughs> so yeah, if you got any Angela stories, please, I'd love to hear those. Well, the really interesting thing is, is my daughter is best friends. One of the best friends. I mean, they're, I mean, you know, my daughter's 30, uh, four now, but she, um, was best friends and continues, uh, a, a relationship with, uh, Angela's granddaughter, uh, Catherine Shaw. So, um, it's, uh, you know, I, so it was kind of, part of the family. I mean, Angela didn't know me as an actress, but I had, I would go to birthday parties and see her there and all of that. So, um, she was just a wonderful woman and a kind woman, uh, again. And my daughter, Shane would often, uh, you know, love going there, having, you know, all those kind of stories and coming back and, uh, playing with Catherine. And so she, my daughter probably could tell you more about Angela Lansbury. I mean, I, she was very professional. Oh my gosh. Very professional ruled the set. It, it was, um, it was, it was, um, it was a real treat to be invited on her set and to work with her. And she's an inspiration. Um, she is a woman that an actress who I inspire to, you know, to, I mean, she keeps working. She keeps, she, she just keeps it going. And, and uh, it's a philosophy. I feel you know, it's never over. Who knows when your break's going to come and all of that. So I just keep, my nose to the ground and keep doing it and keep doing what I love to do. And she loves to do it and she loves to tell stories. So, and, uh, so I, I, it was a great experience, but yes, I knew the family. So that was also another side of it. Did you get to have any interactions with her on set or offset? I should say. Oh yeah. I think, yes, I haven't seen that episode in a long time, but didn't I have a few scenes with her? I'm sure I did. I believe so. Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, you know, she was very professional. So it was all about the work on the, on the set and um, yeah, all about the work. So, and her son would um, Anthony would uh, direct a few of them and her husband, it was a family business in many ways. Her uh, husband was a producer. Um, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a, uh, it was just uh, on the set. I found it was down to work, down to business and all about the characters and getting and making the day because it was like a family business. You know, it was like, you know, all of it was. 
how many years was that show on? I mean, it was. Oof. It never ended to me. I mean, it's still on in my head. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. I haven't seen that one in so many years. So I, it, that is really a flash from the past. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or a toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or a part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, my name is Walker Brandt, and I was privileged to play the role of Cadet Hajar in the episode... The first duty, Star Trek The Next Generation. I was also a guest on Trek Untold a few months ago. And during my interview with Matt, I introduced my new book, Awaken, Discovering Yourself Through the Light of Your Innocence. The dedication in Awaken reads to the human spirit, the final frontier within. I'm a Trekkie, I'm a fan, and I have always believed that the final frontier is our unlimited imagination. And the reason I wrote my book is to support the reader, to always remember that when you combine your unlimited imagination with your innocence, you know, that playfulness as a child where you had no fear about the unknown. In fact, every single day you woke up into the unknown and you wanted to explore. That's been my journey. And that's how I believe that we change our reality for the better together because we're all creators and we're all explorers. So I ask you, what excites you? How will you expand and go where you've never been before? What steps will you take to embrace the unknown? So awaken, discovering yourself through the light of your innocence is there to support the reader, to share my journey, to let you know you're not alone, to let you know that if you've been through challenges and difficulties and times in your life where you felt like you just couldn't go on, I've been there with you. And this book is there for you to encourage you to keep getting back up and moving forward into the adventure. So I hope you have a chance to read it. It's titled Awaken, Discovering Yourself Through the Light of Your Innocence, and it's available on Amazon. And it's a number one international bestseller. So I hope you get a chance to get on that journey with me. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at walkerbrandt.com or on my social media, Facebook, Instagram. Thanks so much, and I hope we get a chance to connect. We now return to Trek Untold. So, Dave, we could easily spend hours, if not evenings, weeks, talking about everything you've done in your career, because there's so much to discuss. But we got to talk about Star Trek, because that's what we're here for today. So let's start with your first of three Trek appearances. That was in Next Generation, Season 5, The Masterpiece Society. You were Hannah Bates. Uh, you already talked a little bit about your audition process, but can you give us some more details about what that was like? 
Rick Berman, who, you know, uh, uh, was amazing and, ter- and very specific about his casting and uh, um, the dialogue being perfect and um, everyone on that set. It was one of the strictest in terms of being true to the dialogue and everything written, the written wor- word that I've ever been on. I mean, even to the point, and 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 if you remember, I had a lot of psychobabble to to talk uh, do, and it was um, I don't know if I could do it today. I mean, being the age I am now, because it was it was so um, dense the material, and I didn't know what I was saying half the time. But um, I think I had about three auditions before I got that. And I had gone in number of times on that show. Um, Maybe this was my fifth, sixth audition, not for this part, but you know, where I would get close and sorry next time, but at least they kept me coming back. And then once you got in, they, they wanted you for other, other shows too. Um, I wish I had done all of them. I, 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 you know, in retrospect, it was just such a great franchise and uh, uh, was such a beautiful message, you know, great messages. And um, so the experience of um, auditioning was that I just had to be letter perfect and um, uh, and operate with the confidence that I think all of their character, all of their characters have as a confidence in the spoken word and what they're saying and how they're delivering it and with the passion behind it. And so, um, yeah, I nailed it. (laughs) So I was, I was fortunate. And then I got on the set and I was doing great, except for, you know, there'd be a couple of times I would leave out an article like the, or Anne or something like that. And I'd have to go back and do the whole entire thing, you know? So, um, they were, as I said, they were very, very specific. Uh, I loved working with LeVar Burton. He was wonderful on that, um, on the set. And man, the, the sets were amazing. They were just so amazing. So here, someone who knew nothing about really this franchise and had not been a fan, really not, not just, I just was ignorant to it. Uh, not that I wasn't a fan. It's just, I didn't know about it and it wasn't in my realm. Um, it it soon became because it was so uh, uh, specific and beautifully done with, as I said, amazing messages. The sets were were beautiful. Everyone who worked on that, from the uh, the grips, the um, the cinematographers, the um, the makeup, the hair, everything was done to such a precision and and with such um, a care and love you know, and passion. So, you know, you were entering into a very highly uh, professional, um, uh, you just had to match it. You had to, you had to bring your best game. And that's what I, I tried to do. It was a great experience. It really seemed like it. Yeah. I think it was a controversial, I heard later, a very controversial episode. I don't really know why. Do you know why? Uh, it's definitely an interesting episode. I know I've actually, uh, I was in fact asked about this later in the interview. I know that the director, uh, Vinrick Kolb, the late Vinrick Kolb, he said that uh, he liked the concept, he liked the script, but he wasn't really satisfied with how it turned out ultimately. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I guess it was it was a pretty interesting kind of story, but uh, yeah, and one that's kind of almost topical to this day too. Yeah, really. I mean, it is very topical to this day. And then the idea of 
God, I don't mean to bring politics into this, but I've often thought, you know, I, you know, of, of, of leaving a country like America, you know, because I'm don't, I'm not happy with the politics of where I am at. And, and, uh, and I was ready to leave my utopian community because I wanted to have freedom and, 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 and freedom of speech, freedom of, of, of thought, of be able to expand, and what the spaceship um, offered, and 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 that new experience just opened up my horizon. So it was a, it is very topical. You spent a lot of time in that episode with Lavar Burton, as we mentioned, and you guys have such great rapport. You're just basically like two tech nerds hanging out together. I love it. How did you get along with Lavar? Tell you something. I, if you really knew me. I am so not, I am so not technical, technical savvy. As a matter of fact, I was, I I could barely, I mean, I was having a hard time getting my internet to do this interview. I was like going, oh my God, please tell Matthew, I don't mean to be late, but uh, my internet's not connecting. So, so I am so technologically not with it. So um, it was really an actor's uh an actor stepping forward to 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 play the part and lavar was wonderful and because you know they were regulars they'd been doing this for so long so he just kind of took me this is easy we're having fun you know and and yeah we became like techno nerds so yeah, this episode i mentioned directed by vinrick kolb do you remember much about his directing style and did he have to help you uh in some cases with those techno babble lines kind of get you into understanding them and how to act those gosh you know i am I just remember him being very, very specific and, and all of that about, about it all. Um, but I really don't, I have to say that, um, I was not as, uh, I, I, I don't remember it being a real personal connection, like as, as compared to uh, my experience on deep space nine, where that, that whole experience was a very, I mean, heart-wrenching, which we'll get into, you know, experience all the way around. Um, But this one was more, I think it was a lot more just by the book, do the work. And um, again, just being very specific about if I missed a beat or if I wasn't performing or getting the lines. I, I just remember it a lot about being honestly about being, you know, getting the information out. So, um, yeah. And, and, uh, so that, I'm sorry to say, I just, that I don't remember the exact experience of, of working with him. I'm sure maybe other people do, but. Well, it's perfectly all right. I mean, but you also brought up a good, uh, a good point here. I wanted to talk about a little bit and that's, uh, kind of going deeper into the fact that you're reading this techno babble that you don't necessarily understand, but you now have to act it and show that you do understand and make it understandable to the audience at home. So uh, as an actress, how do you approach a challenge like that? Well, you know, I think I was a little, I was a little scared. I I think, you know, here I am out of my element in many ways. I'm not really a scientific mind, even though I did play, I get casted a lot, Kate Rambeau. And, and here I am playing a, a, like a, a top scientist in the, in, in the universe who that, you know, I'm brought onto the ship to help move a meteor, uh, uh, a planet away from a meteor or a meteor away from the planet. I forgot which it was, but I, I, you know, so um, I felt that I really had to rise to the occasion. And 
you know, I have a lot of passion in my life, I, in, in everything I do. I have passion for my acting. I have passion for my, um, for my sculpting. And the one thing about Hannah Bates is she was very passionate. And so she, I just brought, I just zoned in and brought in the passion of, of what I was saying. Um, and I, I, I believed in a lot of what she believes in, in being able to, to have, um, gosh, you know, and I, I should have reviewed the whole, seen the whole episode before doing this interview, because I'm really talking out of not having seen it for a while. But, um, you know, the idea of being able to um, have control and free choice of our life and where we go and where we live and not living. And, and that's, and, and then again, you know, to be on a, in a, in a utopian world and knowing that if one person leaves it, it destroys that world. It has the potential to destroy that world. That's a huge responsibility. And, um, and, and so, um, as it said, it was a masterpiece society that had been created. But with that masterpiece of society, there was a lot of um, missed opportunities. And for someone who had such an expanded mind, I wanted to go further. So I know I've taken this your the answer into so many different directions, but I brought my passion for what I love to do in my life forward and just brought it forward with Hannah. Now, I didn't necessarily know what I was talking about, how I was going to move this planet or how I was going to move this comet out of the way or meteor. I think it was. Uh, no, it wasn't a comet. I'm not. Anyway, one of the two. And and uh, but I just got behind my words in the way that I do with <laughs> my acting and, and all of that. So I just try to bring my A game. And as I said, I was scared because it was out of my element. It was, it was a new experience walking onto this set, someone who didn't even know what it meant to be beam up, you know, and like really trying to pretend I knew everything about it. <laughs> Play the role. <laughs> So we go from Hannah Bates to Arissa in Deep Space Nine in the episode A Simple Investigation, which is quite a change in the characters you've been playing here, because Hannah is kind of a lot more bubbly in some ways. Serious episode, but Hannah's a little bit more bright and cheerful. Arissa is a very mysterious, enigmatic character. This is very reminiscent of like a film noir style movie in a lot of ways. Uh, what did you think about the character of Arissa? You know, I think back on that experience and playing that role. It is one of my favorite in all my career. Just everything gelled. It was, um, first of all, uh, working with Renee and uh, the director, John, um, was amazing. He was a wonderful director and he encouraged the chemistry that um, Odo and Arissa had. And I think that's what really gelled in this. And um, it was a love story. And I literally fell in love with Odo during this time. And, you know, it was, um, yes, I was supposed to be mysterious and all of that. But the bottom line of this whole episode is the love that they have for each other, the connection. And then finding out at the end that that she's someone else that she didn't even know about. And that, and that she has to, you know, she has to go back to her husband uh, when she loves this Odo, you know, when, she, when she's fallen in love. It was, I, I loved the experience. I loved working again. It was an experience that um, 
touched my heart and I will remember forever. And it was probably one of my best experiences, acting experiences. And that director for that episode, by the way, was John Kretschmer. John Kretschmer. Thank you. Oh, and you know, I, I, I'm still in contact with him via email and uh, I just, he was wonderful to work with, very specific in what he wanted. I had a challenge on that um, because they have to move fast on these episodes. And so I had a number of scenes in Odo's office. And so what they would do, and it was the first experience I'd ever had in my career where they would, out of order, you would do all my coverage coming at me in, in, in like five different seats. So it wouldn't even complete the scene. And then we would do Odo's coverage all, you know, scene two, nine, 11, all from his, that angle. So we were out of, you know, it wasn't no sense of continuity. So you really had to be on your game and aware of how it was being, you know, where you were in the scene and all of that. So one scene earlier on that I would have done, um, where I'm supposed to be, you know, maybe very mysterious and cold and aloof in the beginning of the scene, in, in, in the beginning of the episode, you know, we're doing from this angle. And then I have to go to a scene later on where I'm professing, you know, uh, you know, the more intimate scene and come to my room and things like, you know, it's all of a sudden like, and it's the next scene. And, and then I have to go back to, and be in on his, you know, on the other side for him and going through it all again. Are you following me about how they would shoot a lot? Yeah, that, that sounds <laughs> I like don't a know nightmare. If I'm any sense, but it is, um, it was the first time I had ever done that. I've had to go on and do it since then. It's not a way I love to work, but I'm I'm willing to work anyway because, you know, there, there's the continuity of, of really creating a scene and being there and being in character and then having to change your character and then have to go back to your character to be there for the other actor. So it was um, a challenge. And on top of that, I've heard that typically on Star Trek shows, you don't really get rehearsal time. You're kind of just thrust right into it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if we had rehearsals at all, but you know, that is the graciousness of the, um, the cast that was on every single one of the shows. Um, especially the first two that I worked on, which was next generation and uh, deep space nine was that they were old pros. They had been doing it for so long and uh, they were welcoming and they, they brought you in and they kind of, took you under their wing and you felt a part of it and, and, and they brought you in and, and to do the best job because they knew one of the, the beautiful things about all of this, this franchise was the guest stars had the most amazing roles. They really had amazing, meaningful roles. And that was, uh, that has never been the same. I mean, not been my experience on other shows since then that uh, where they really give the great roles to the, to the guest stars, you know, in many ways. And that's totally why I do this show to make sure I get those stories told because they're pretty great. Yeah, they really are. So of course we mentioned plenty about Renee already. He's one of my favorite actors in all of Star Trek and Odo is, I think my favorite character ever in Trek. He gave me a parting gift. I mean, he was, we had such a connection and I mean, I, I, I literally, I fell in love with him. He was just an amazing human being. And, uh, uh, it was a gift uh, that was given to me. I, I mean, the gift of working with him was really 
such a generous actor and a human being. I've got to ask, because you were the first person, I believe, to actually kiss Odo on the lips. So how the heck did you find his lips is what I want to know. <laughs> they were wonderful lips. <laughs> Let me tell you. Now, um, <laughs> that was, you know, that was a real, um, you know, I think the beauty of it all was, um, well, I didn't have any, as you know, Arissa uh, until she, until the very end, um, doesn't have any kind of, I, I mean, I play, I didn't have any, what is it called? Prosthetics. Prosthetics. Thank you. I had nothing. I had myself and that was Arissa. And she, um, so he was, could easily find me, you know, but um you know, it's all in the eyes, you know? And so it was really, I mean, Renee's eyes really came through, uh, his, his, his prosthetics. And, um, so it just all was so natural. It was seamless. It just was such a natural thing. It was a beautiful love story and everything was flowed easy with the exception of, as I, as I said, how they would film it, you know, but the, the bed scene, we had a bed scene. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, you were the first person to ever sleep with Odo on the show. What is that like? I loved that. I loved that. It was fantastic. It was, I felt so honored uh, to be able to get into his bed. <laughs> um, it was, I heard, by the way, Renee had to actually shave his chest for that scene, too. Is that true? Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, yes, I think so. I think he had to. I think it was like, you know, I, I think I lay in his arms. I mean... Oh God, it was just, it was so, it again, it was one of those fantastic experiences. And it was the, the chemistry that we had, I think. It was um, a beautiful, loving chemistry. And, um, and I especially liked her because she goes through such growth and change and she has a real arc in the, in the, in the episode. Um, and uh, and it's very heartfelt throughout the whole thing. You know, she might start out very mysterious and, you know, all of that. And and she's on a mission. And but but by the end, you you really know who she is. So I don't know if you're aware, Dave, but there's actually now uh, basically you're part of a Star Trek meme. <laughs> so someone found a few weeks ago a uh, trading card for the Deep Space Nine trading card series. And it's a card of you and Odo in bed together. No. And it's well, shirtless Odo. It's you what? in bed. I've got a pretty woman meme, but I didn't know about that. Can you send it to me? I will send it to you. You're now a Star Trek okay, meme. My phone number. Oh my God, that is fantastic. I love it. And it's us in bed. It is you guys in bed together. You two are cuddling. Renee is on top of you. It is too hot for TV. Oh no, you're kidding. I love it. Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. Thank you, Matthew, for letting me know. My God. <laughs> Do you remember if Arissa was ever talked about to return to the series? Well, no, because unfortunately she has a husband and she, and she really had a whole different persona on who she was. And she had been, I think, hijacked and put, had a, had something, uh, something put inside of her in her brain, um, where she was sent out to be a spy and, and, uh, but it wasn't who she was. So she goes back to, and I'm just going to absolutely embarrass myself on this show. But what is it that I become again at the end? One of those 
Um, oh, I don't remember the exact alien. We'll, we'll, we'll just say you went back to your home planet. Make it easy. <laughs> yes, thank you. And, and, and one of their aliens. And uh, it was a very popular one. It was beautiful. And it had the little forehead here. And I, oh, gosh, I, I, felt, I felt more beautiful as that alien than, than as Orissa. But um, uh, and the wardrobe was beautiful. Oh. Anyway, that is one of my favorite scenes is going and saying goodbye to him at the very end. I mean, it was, it makes me cry even today. It was such a heartfelt um, goodbye because I think it was like one of the last episodes with Renee too. Great very, very good episode. Obviously, you can tell it made such an impact for me. Yeah, I can definitely tell. Uh, so let's let's try and get you away from the, the tears for a moment. Although I, <laughs> as much I do enjoy seeing them, uh, let's let's move on to another mysterious character you played. Your final appearance in the Star Trek franchise, another mysterious lady. This time you're in Star Trek Enterprise in the episode Two Days and Two Nights, and you are Kayla, a vacationer at Riza who happens to meet Captain Archer, played by Scott Bakula. And you spend pretty much all your scenes together with Scott. Um, in, uh, in and a, my dog, my and your dog. dog. <laughs> that was your actual dog. <laughs> no, 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 uh. Uh-uh. No, I would never have that kind of dog. <laughs> I'll show you my little Westie I have, who's really like a little Dennis the Menace, always digging in a black snout and everything. But um, I know this was the most perfect dog. Oh, boy. It was, I mean, you know, very perfect. Uh, because I think Scott had a dog throughout the whole, ep- uh, through, right? As his pal. Yeah, he's got um, Porthos the Beagle. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I, well, you know, again... I am so, uh, the experience of Deep Space Nine so overshadows that one because I think I was only, um, even though it was a guest star role and on all of that, but it was shot pretty quickly. And I, so I, I had, I mean, maybe it was three days, three, four days on that. And um, yeah, I I turned out to be a bad, a bad girl. And uh, the other ones I had played good girl, a good girl, but it was the, the experience I really remember of that is being in makeup and having them airbrush those tattoos all over me, which were so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I mean, they were, I mean, the tattoos down my body was like unbelievable. And um, so I was supposed to be a seductress and all of that. And um, I loved working with Scott. He was wonderful. And uh, I would love to work with him again. I mean, I think he's a he's a fine, fine actor. And um, I don't have stories about that one except for being in makeup for hours with the tattoos, the airbrushing, and the dog, and all of that. And and but that was uh, a lot of my scenes with Scott with Scott were me being on a balcony and communicating with him on another balcony. So it wasn't like always really close up. Um, except for when he comes to my room and I think he, uh, um, gosh, well, I think I, I, I trick him or something. I don't remember. I don't remember the episode so much. I'm sorry, Matthew. Oh, no, it's all right. Let's, let's see if we can refresh memory a little bit here. Uh, and, I'm wondering actually about your wardrobe for that one. Cause you mentioned how much you liked the outfit for Arissa. Do you remember what you wore in this enterprise appearance? Uh, well, I had like a, uh, yeah, everything was very sexy. I mean, what I remember the most was the makeup, the makeup and the, the, the tattoos and the hair that they, yes, everything was, um, you know, they just made me like, look like a goddess. It was like goddess uh, attire in a, in a sense. Right. 
Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You're like wearing a swimsuit. You've got like a sash around you. Uh, were, were, yeah. Did you feel comfortable wearing all that? Were you excited to be in something a little bit less, uh, less constricting? How, how was that for you? Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. Am I comfortable with it? I mean, no, I think I prefer more clothes, but I felt like a little bit clothed with the tattoos, I have to say. I mean, a lot of the costuming was around me making sure that you saw my tattoos and 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 all of that. They were just beautiful. They were um they weren't um uh they were they were they were very subtle in a sense, but but beautifully done. Um, because I remember looking back um, uh, at a lot of pictures regarding those. But um, yeah, so no, I don't necessarily enjoy being scantily dressed and, and all of that. It's not my favorite thing. But I think the the, the reason why maybe Kayla is not as, 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 um, as memorable for me is because she didn't have a lot of, I mean, she didn't grow as a character. She didn't, you know, develop as a character. She just came to serve a purpose. And then, you know, that was it, you know, she didn't, it, it, it wasn't as fleshed out. I felt as a guest star part as either Hannah or Arissa. So that was my experience of, of the character. I mean, as a viewer at home, I can see that they're, they're definitely felt like almost, um, I don't want to say disconnection, but I mean, I can clearly see how much more you enjoyed Arissa versus Kayla because the material was a lot more beefy, if you will, uh, as Arissa. Yeah. Kayla, it was very much like you're kind of, you have a secret, but you're, it was just very conflicted, I guess. That's kind of the way to put it. That's the way I saw yeah. it. And I had an arc, you know, I had a, a real arc and uh, this, and Kayla really didn't. She was there for a purpose and, um, she had her mission and, and it gets aborted, I think. And, uh, uh, that's it. You know, I, it wasn't like I became a love interest of Scott or I became, you know, or there was a really anything, any big connection at all. It was all kind of a red herring in a way, you know, kind of role. <laughs> so we mentioned your sister earlier in the interview as well. And I'd heard a story that, you know, she was by the way, of course, also in Star Trek, but you didn't actually know that for quite some time. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know it until um, she didn't talk about it to me. Um, I think she was in. Which one was she in? <laughs> I don't even know. I'm not even sure which one Lee was in. Um, I want to say it was either TNG and Voyager, but I, I can't remember either. Unfortunately, might have been Voyager. I know probably. I don't think it was one that I was on, and I'm not sure. I I think she did it after, and she just never told me. You know, I usually know what she just didn't tell me. Yeah, I wasn't even aware that she had done one. She was in Deep Space Nine, actually. Deep Space Nine, season seven. And she was also in... Uh... Okay, that's it. Just Deep Space Nine, yeah. So she was... Yeah, so your sister Lee was in Deep Space Nine. Okay, okay, great. Oh, that's right. Because, um, yeah, Scott um, had had thought about um, having us go to uh, one of these conventions together. Uh, a Deep Space Nine one, actually. So, yes, that's right. Yeah, no, she never told me. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't aware of it. So there you go, small world. So having been on three different Star Trek series, how would you describe the feeling on set for each one of these? How were they different? Well, I think it also had to do with the characters that I that I played, you know, of course, because that, that brings a lot to what your experience is going to be, how you um, approach a role, how you approach all of it. So I found that... Um, deep, uh, well, let's start with, um, 
the first one I did. Um, I think you probably already know the answer to all these because that's kind of how I explained them. But um, Nick, uh, the next generation, I I thought the cast was amazing, very professional. Um, for me, it wasn't as intimate of an experience. It wasn't as um, it was most of my stuff was with, with Lavar, and it was. Um, I think it was an important episode, but it was a lot more. I I have to I have to you know say I was a scientist on it, so I think that's what it was more, more cut and dry, more scientific, more uh, to the point, more um, um, a little more sterile, I think, than my experience on. Um, and so I can't really tell you whether that was just me day and my experience because of the character I played, but um, I I found the set, um, I found them all to be gracious, very professional. Patrick was amazing. I mean, what an, an astounding actor. Um, I, you know, so I didn't really see any dynamic there because I didn't spend a lot of time with them as a group. Um, a little different, I think, with um, Deep Space Nine because I I cover I'm all over I, I I move my character moves a bit and I'm and then I um and there's a lot more intimacy and and as I said I had a big arc there and I and I'm and it turns out I'm not who I think I am you know or I don't even know who I am and uh, and um, so it was a lot more emotional. Uh, the other one was a lot more heady, um, next generation. And I found that, uh, deep space nine was more of an emotional, intimate experience for me. And the last one was really, um, a little more disjointed for me. And I think it was because, um, of the character that I played, I just didn't have a handle into the, to the show. And I, I I don't know. I how long did that? How long was that show on? Uh, was it on? Yeah, for Enterprise only went for four years. So yeah, the other two went for seven. Yeah, um, and you know, I don't know if I'm reflecting maybe that or what, but I just felt that it. Um, my story wasn't um, a story that I, I I had passion behind, and that I you know, it was uh, the story that I could get behind or, or that I, that my character was that important to it. So maybe that's the reason why. So that kind of answer the question. <laughs> uh, I'd like to spend some time today also discussing uh, the other part of the arts that you work in. You know, we spent most of this interview discussing your acting career, but as we alluded to earlier, uh, you're also a sculptor now. You work in bronze and uh, stone and very large, amazing sculptures. I, I was able to actually find some video and some photos of your work. It's beautiful, marvelous looking pieces. Um, can you tell you. us a little bit about when you discovered your love of sculpting and in particular with these big kind of, you know, permanent objects. We're not talking clay here as much. We're talking stone and marble. Yeah, I love stone and marble. That's probably my 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 big passion in terms of that art form is working in stone. Um, you know, I, um, I found it in college. I was um, a theater major and very dedicated and worked hard. And I even went over and to Europe and and uh, worked with a teacher by the name a man by the name of Grotowski who was quite a renowned um, uh, t- Polish teacher and um, 
had amazing experiences um, as a um, actress. But um, in my senior year of college, I was fulfilling a, a credit, and it was that I took a sculpture class. And um, I just, I took to uh, carving. Um, and uh, I had to go out in nature and bring back uh, something and I brought back a lotus bud and I sculpted this lotus bud and the teacher was a man named Aldo Casanova and he was a, a amazing um, artist in him, himself. He's in airports and uh, in UCLA sculpture garden and I remember my mother who of course loved art. She was very a big fan of his and she came to and I introduced her to him and she said, oh, you know, someday I wish I could own one of your pieces. And he says, save your money and buy one of your daughters. So it was kind of like, oh, my God, you know, he really thinks I'm good. And it was just the one piece. But I went on and it was one of those um, experiences that uh, just kept giving back to me. I I, I, I loved the and, and it, I would lose myself. It's such a different medium than acting. Acting is, um, you're connecting. It's a communication, connecting. This is you and your stone. You and, and I have always, I've been one of those sculptors who, um, looks for the, the angel within the piece or the object within the piece and looks to go in and release it and set it free. And that's really um, how I deal with stone. Now, clay is a whole different thing where, you know, you're starting with, maybe you'll get a commission or someone will say, hey, will you do this or uh, this, this portrait of someone, or will you do a dog or will you do whatever? And, and so you're starting with an idea that has been given to you and, and starting with clay and building it up as opposed to taking it away. And both of them are, are, you know, I, I love both working both ways, but my favorite is the stone and I've gone to Italy and brought back a couple of tons of marble. And that's where you've seen probably my big marble pieces that are now, I have one in a church, uh, at in front of a church and, um, you know, I, I just love it. And I feel very grateful as an actress to have had that because, you know, you never know when a job's going to come. You never know when you're going to be able to do that creativity of being an actor. Um, so this, I, it, I can just go out and uh, I would, I now have brought my sculpture studio home during these COVID times and have been sculpting from my backyard um, as best as I can. But Again, stone is, the older I'm getting, it's a lot more challenging to work with because my back is taxed. I It's really taken a toll on back because you have to be able to move these pieces too. And both my ex-husband and my present boyfriend would be here to tell you that <laughs> after being with me a number of years, they say, don't come near me with one of those, those pieces of stone. I am not going to move it or help you because it really it, you know, does the numbers. So... Um, yeah, that's my answer. And I, I, I love it. I love it. As I love acting, I've, I've been, I'm so grateful to have these two passions in my life that I have been able to dedicate my life to. And my daughter, I have to say that <laughs> I have to, I have to hone in as a mother too. <laughs>
So I noticed that a lot of your work tends to be about the female form, uh, whether it's representational or, or an abstraction of it. Uh, in fact, like the ones I, I enjoyed the most was uh, Fertility, Madam Butterfly, and the Three Muses pieces. I really, uh, those really spoke to me. Um, so what is your fascination with the female form with these sculptures? Well, that is something you'd have to even ask, you'd have to ask many sculptors, you know, through the t- through time. I mean, the female form is so beautiful and so um, evocative and, and, and was um, so curvaceous and has its, um, and so many secrets within it and everything that I think that it just naturally um, is something that I gr- gravitated to. Also, it's a form that, and probably I'm also a sculptor who feels my own body a lot. And, and a lot of my pieces, you'll look and people say, did you use yourself as a model? Because a lot of them are thinner work or whatever. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, the other subject matter I have done is I, I've done a lot of sculpture um when I have been, and this is more my bronze work, like I've done a, I did a piece after 9-11 uh, called The Sky is Falling of a woman reaching up and holding, trying to hold up the sky, a nude woman. And then I recently just did during this COVID time and uh, a piece about Black Lives Matter. And um, uh, that is, it was a very, so I, I tried to take an experience of what is going on in our world and try to, to, um, uh, to, to, to be able to experience it out into my art form. And that's what I've done. I also did a piece after Katrina, um, as I think I started out with earlier tell, mentioning to you that I was in mo- into modern dance in high school and, um, studied Martha Graham. And so I have a pose of Martha Graham being like in these waves and trying to get out of her costume kind of uh, that's so dramatic. And I use that for my Katrina piece um, after the hurricane. So, yeah, I, I, I get I, I look for where there's inspiration out in the world. And and then also I go inside to find it as well. My uncle uh, was Hank Vergona. He was an illustrator here in New York, and he did a lot of work in various magazines. And for himself, I did a documentary about him. And uh, one of the things that was kind of one of the keys in the film was for him, art is life. And I think most artists have that same kind of thought process. Art is life. And I think it's especially a great metaphor for the different arts that you're doing, because you, know, you look at something permanent like the sculpting in bronze or in metal or basically things that are subtractive versus additive. So right. working in stone, it's subtractive. Working in marble is subtractive. Oil painting is additive. You're always adding more to build onto it. Okay, and so I fine. feel like so I feel like with acting in particular, uh, and also with, with all forms of art, but really in acting, it's more about stripping away the unnecessary elements to find the core of what speaks to the character. Because after all, you know, acting is observation and imitation of life. And that's what you're doing with all art forms, essentially. I'm kind of curious to know if, what your thoughts are on that idea, just basically stripping away those elements to find the core of a character uh, and how your philosophy on art in general has informed your choices in acting. Wow, that's such a great question. Um, well, I think that both of my art forms have informed each other. And as I, I think I said to you um, at one point, um, I um, had wondered whether or not I should, and wondered whether I'd be more successful in it with just doing one of them and going all the way and just focusing in. And then I had... Uh, <clears throat> come to God moment where I said, no, I, 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 how can I stop my art 
when it feeds me so much, it gives me. And yes, I think that they both feed each other. I think I look inside of a, a piece of marble and I have to go to the essence of it, what I see inside of it. And I have to do that with the characters. I have to go, every character I look at, I, I look at what is the need of this character? What is it, the driving need? Um, and um, and I think that when I look inside of a stone, I say, what needs to be set free? What is that angel inside of there that needs to be set free? You know, and um, so, yes, I, I've never really thought of it that way, but it's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor to think that, yes, what is Every character has an angel within it and, and setting that free is something that also I can, I can definitely see the connection with my artwork. And so for our people in our audience today who like to check out some of your artwork, where can they go to look at it? Uh, well, you can go to my website, which is www.dayyoungyoungart.com. So that would be the best way. And uh, I'm very accessible. I mean, people, you know, I, a lot of people come in my home and buy uh, buy pieces. And I have a lot of my art out on my front lawn. And I mean, it's just, uh, uh, I love to share it. So it's, um, as I love to share my acting also. So thank you, Matthew. That's so sweet of you for me to be able to put out my website. <laughs> Of course, that's what we're here to do. So, Day, last question for you today. What is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Oh, gosh. What's the best thing about it? Well, I'm part of a community, which is really, I think, amazing. I, I think it's one of the things I'm most proud of, being a member of the Actors Studio, being part of the Trek community, Star Trek community. So, um I think I'd have to say that it, it's it's a uh, it's um, a community that I'm very proud to be a part of. All right, well, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, there's so much more we could easily talk about here, but you got things to do. I know that, and uh, yeah, we appreciate all of your stories. Uh, I really recommend that all of the people in our audience today check out dayyoungart.com. Learn more about what our guest today has been doing with her sculptures, with her art. I mean, Day, you, you truly are the epitome of the term artist, of that word. So uh, oh, thank, thank you so much you. for all of your contributions to entertainment and to the arts. And uh, I look forward to seeing some more of your work and hopefully one day getting to California and seeing it in person. Oh, where are you, Matthew? I'm out in New York. So all bit, right. Don't think I'm getting right. over there anytime soon because of COVID, but hopefully <laughs> when this is yes. all wrapped up. Yes. Well, you're always welcome. Let me know when you're in town. All right. Well, thank okay. you so much. All right. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that was our chat with Day Young, and I do sincerely hope you visit her website after this episode to see more of her work and learn more about her passion for the arts. Today we talked about Enterprise being Day's final episode in Star Trek history. The episode is not necessarily one of the best from the first season of Enterprise, but it does have an interesting fact attached to it. As we mentioned, Two Days and Two Nights was directed by Michael Dorn. As of now, this was the last episode that Michael Dorn has directed in Star Trek, and he only did one Enterprise along with three others in Deep Space Nine. But what's interesting is not so much the direction here, it's more so that Michael Dorn is the actor who's been in the most episodes about Ryza. And that's between his time on TNG and Deep Space Nine. Most notably, Dorn appeared in the DS9 episode Let He Who Is Without Sin, which is really an episode better left not talked about. But either way, it's a surprise to know that Worf is actually more associated with Ryza than Commander Riker. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. 
And shout out to Scott Ray for helping provide this week's guest. If you'd like to book this person to appear at an upcoming convention or autograph signing event, email scottray67 at aol.com. Whether you're listening to this show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any audio platforms, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com Nerd News Today, please make sure you subscribe to whatever format you're listening to so you can ensure you get the new episodes of this show as soon as they come out. And that's every Thursday on audio platforms and every Sunday on YouTube for the video version. Please don't forget to check out our Teespring store to check out some of the merch we have for this show at teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold. You can also support this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold to become a Patreon. We've got a few different tiers that offer some different benefits that you might enjoy, so please take a look if you can. If you want to get updates on who's going to be on the newest episode of the shows, please follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Trek Untold. That's one word, no spaces, Trek Untold. But one of the biggest things you can do to help out this show is to interact with us, whether that's leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast, or leaving a comment or giving it a thumbs up on YouTube. It costs you nothing but time and helps out this show tremendously to get more attention and get more listeners to help this podcast continue to grow and expand. So until next time... I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, this has been Trek Untold, and remember, fortune favors the bold.